Welcome to episode 111 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. I'm recording this from my new downtown Edmonton office, which isn't quite as sound absorbent as my old one, so it may take a little experimentation to get the recording sound as good as I think it should be. But I hope you'll find this to be good enough and will enjoy listening to today's episode. Today's guest is Blake Morgan, who is the author of a new book called More is More, How the Best Companies Work Harder and Go Farther to Create Knock-Your-Socks-Off Customer Experiences. Blake uh, got her start doing call center-related conferences and now teaches in the executive education program at Rutgers, writes for Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, and the American Marketing Association. She is a fellow podcaster and hosts the Modern Customer Podcast and a weekly customer experience video series on YouTube. She's worked with companies like Intel, Verizon Wireless, and many others. In our interview and in her book, she discusses many of the elements that go into creating great customer experience. It takes more than just great contact center staff, it takes a team effort, and it involves everything from designing great products or services in the first place, through to great employee experience, good use of technology, reward systems, and openness to innovation. Before we get started with that interview, just wanted to mention a few things that are coming up. One is if you happen to be in the Edmonton, Alberta area, LitFest, Canada's original non-fiction festival, runs from October 12th to 22nd, and there's a huge range of authors coming in covering all sorts of topics, from political ones like Michael Adams, the pollster, talking about whether a Trump scenario could happen here, through to personal memoirs and everything you can imagine in between. So if you're interested in nonfiction, check out litfestalberta.org and you can find the full agenda. Second, I've got a couple of interesting talks coming up over the next few weeks. I will be speaking at UX Camp in Edmonton on October 21st. The actual full event runs the 20th and 21st. And I'll be talking about getting buy-in for user experience improvements. If you're interested in coming to that, you can get tickets for UX Camp on Eventbrite. Just search for UX Camp Edmonton or UX Camp YEG. I will also be presenting at the Disrupt HR conference on November 1st, and tickets for that are also available on Eventbrite. And the title of that talk is People Shocked. We need better bosses now more than ever. And so that's what I'll be talking about at that event. So I hope I'll see you at one or all of those things. And in the meantime, uh, let's get on with today's podcast episode with Blake Morgan. Let's rock and roll. Tell me about yourself, Blake. Well, Tema, I am a customer experience futurist, keynote speaker, and author now with my new book. It's called More is More, and it's about how to gain a competitive advantage through customer experience. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. It's, it's exciting to have a book out. Tell me a bit about your background with customer experience. So I got into this industry about 10 years ago 
sort of haphazardly happened, like most good things in life. And I had set out to become a powerful publisher lady, like you would see in The Devil Wears Prada. I moved to New York City and had my whole life planned. And of course, that didn't work (laughs) because the print industry was dying. And so I had an unpaid internship at a magazine, and I ended up getting a job at a conference company. And one of the big conference focuses was call centers. And you've probably heard of call center week. Yes. Yes. So I eventually became the face of the the online brand for this event series and had a hand in podcasting. And my boss said, Blake, you are now the face of our brand. So I did a lot of public stuff, blogging, podcasting videos, but I also was entrenched in contact center content Mm -hmm. and really fell in love with it. So in between then and now, I've had a series of different jobs. I worked at Intel, the Fortune 100 chip maker and leading social customer service. But one day I thought to myself, you know what, Blake, customer service is interesting, but you know what's even more exciting and expansive? It's customer experience. Mm -hmm. And so I started obsessing over this topic and I podcasted and wrote about it for Forbes and obsessed over it. And here I am, I've got a book out and I'm in love with the topic. I find it so interesting. And so that's, that's my story of how I got here. So that's interesting. Actually, I just spoke at a, at CX week in Canada, which is run by the call center week people. So uh, I understand that background a little. I'm curious about what you see as changes happening in the call center world. Well, changes in the call center world, clearly the changes are reflecting what's happening in larger societies. So people don't really love to use the phone as much as they did. Um, the, the, the younger generations really like a text message. They like messaging apps. And so now companies are scrambling to figure out how they can engage these customers on their preferred channels. And, you know, some people say that the phone isn't going away. But I do, I do believe that we're going to be using phone less and less and less uh, as these new generations uh, prefer the, the digital channels. And, and so, of course, that will impact the contact center. And also now our technology has gotten better. And while machine learning and artificial intelligence is definitely not perfect and can't really comprehend people in the way that a person could, these technologies are allowing us to do various things and will improve our ability for machines to understand what is the need of the customer. Yes. So how far do you think we are away from the point where, let's say, 80% of contact center work will be replaced by machines? You know, I am not of the camp where I believe that machines will basically destroy the workforce. Mm -hmm. I believe that we still need people to direct these machines, to uh, make them better, improve the experiences. And also people will be focusing on high touch customer experiences because at the end of the day, we're all still people. We all still crave meaningful interactions, attention. And when I go shopping, for example, I don't want to go up to a kiosk to see what clothes look best for my figure. Like one of my favorite things is going to Nordstrom and going up to the salesperson and saying, okay, look at, you can see me here. What clothes do you have that will make me feel fabulous? Mm -hmm. And they bring you a bunch of pieces and they'll give you feedback on what looks good or they'll tailor the clothes for you right there. 
I don't want a machine doing that. I want a person. And the more personal interactions I have with that store, um, with that salesperson at Nordstrom, the better I'm going to feel. So I really do believe that in certain environments and industries that that human interaction will not go away. But, you know, today we have so much self-service and it's just wonky. It, it doesn't work well. I'm hoping that all this technology will improve the, the, the self-service stuff, the small stuff, small potatoes. So companies can work on enriching the relationships they have. Uh, and interactions in a way that customers actually want rather than simply like filling out tax forms. Right. And, and I mean, that's the point that I certainly make in People Shock, which is, you know, as the amount that's left for the human interaction becomes smaller, it becomes exponentially more important. You've got to get that right. Otherwise, why would I bother going to a store if I'm not getting anything better than I'd get from a computer? So I think you're banging on there. Um, let's talk a bit about some of the challenges of actually implementing programs within companies that make for good ongoing customer experience. What sort of structures do you see internally that seem to work best? I think that these structures work best when you have leadership that is aligned that understands the value of the customer relationship where you have the C-suite all working in tandem with one another rather than most companies view the contact center as that place in the basement. Oh, the contact. They don't really know what goes on there. They definitely don't know what the customer experience is like. Mm -hmm. So in the best companies, you have the most important person at the company deep in the trenches, obsessed with the customer experience, knows the customer journey, works on the phones, checks email from customers. And this is this is Jeff Bezos. Um, and, and he's a great example. He forces his executive team, I shouldn't say forces, he gives them the opportunity to work in the contact center. Mandated so opportunity. That they all know <laughs> that they all know what it's like for the customer. And these are what the best companies are doing. It's just this obsession with every piece of it. So why do you think so many companies don't take their contact centers seriously? That that mystifies me because I agree with you. Like Those are the people interacting daily with customers. They hold some of the most important information in any company. And yet so many companies, as you say, it's just this little group in the basement. Why do you think that is? I think that a lot of people are just blind in a way to the realities. Like they view advertising as a moneymaker. I put up an ad, a customer sees it or a prospect, and then they go and buy something from me. Or, you know, they see sales and marketing as investments, as something that they'll get an, a return from. And then the contact center is seen as a cost center. But really that makes no sense because marketers spend millions of dollars to get the eyeballs and ears of customers. The contact center is literally the place where customers make contact with your brand. Yet that is the most under-resourced department in the entire company. So it doesn't make sense. And we need to um, basically wake all of these executives up to the truth that the the place where we focus on customer relationships is is forgotten is being left behind and it's a missed opportunity for them so it's really all boils down to cash 
you know, executives feel like you're either making money for this company or you're saving money for this company. And if you're not doing one of those two things, very black and white, then then what are you doing? But in reality, it's much more complicated and nuanced than that. And the, the real issue is that those are the metrics um, within the company, that the priorities reflect the metrics. So are you saving or making the company money? And that's not a way to run a company. That's a that's a, a CEO that holds the company to quarterly profits yeah. and the board as well. So again, it all boils down to priorities and metrics, but it, people need to be thoughtful about what shapes those priorities and be um, not short-termed, but think of the long-term game. Well, and, and the metrics, I think, is something particularly in the call center world or contact center world that has held a lot of organizations back because if they're judging them on how quickly they resolve a problem for a customer, that encourages them to just ditch problems and not really solve them, but get the customer off the phone quickly. And yet there still seem to be a lot of companies that are measuring people in that way. Do you see that changing? Oh yeah. I think average handle time, the amount of time you have the person on the phone trying to get those numbers down. I think companies that actually get it somewhat have not used that metric in a long time. I think they're probably tracking it, but they're not measuring and managing by it. Mm-hmm. And Zappos is basically the company that has pioneered this concept where the longest call they ever had, I think it was like nine or 10 hours with the customer <laughs> in the call center. Because those agents are having fun with customers, making all kinds of recommendations, playing therapist a little bit to the customer. And that's what these companies are missing is that customers crave human connection. When they call you to fix their problem, They have it, it's not just about the problem. That customer has a whole life that they're bringing to that phone call. And that's an opportunity to be there for the customer at a point of need. If you're still talking about butts and seats and average handle time and how much is this going to cost me, I think it, it's time for a cold shower for those executives. <laughs> So what are some of the ways to attract and retain people who then who have those rights attitudes? So let's say you've decided, yeah, you you get that your contact center should be a place where you build stronger ties with customers. How do you find the right kind of people to work in that environment? I'm a believer that you don't need to hire people who necessarily have Ivy League degrees or who have worked at Disney. You need people who are intuitive, who work hard, who know what to do when the manager isn't looking and have that work ethic and integrity. And you can train them to use a CRM system or to use social customer service. But but it's hard to find good people who have the, the, the right mindset because not everyone should work in customer service. People who have a lot of integrity, who can honestly incur negative uh, feedback and, and negative emotions and not let it ruin their life. You need those kinds of people's, people because it is hard. You do incur a lot of negativity all day. And so you need people who have a good work ethic, who have integrity, who have intuition, and not necessarily someone who has like the perfect resume. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any particularly good ways of identifying and hiring such people beyond just interviews? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think that's a contact center specific question. Like, where do you find great people? I actually think a lot of great people know other great people. So you can ask your employees if they have any referrals and then offer 
compensation for that. Uh, I, I would look for people also within the company who just simply know your products really well. And I think you should pay your contact center people really well. So if you have an engineer, and, and I speak from experience working at a Fortune 100 company, we had an engineer who was actually a baby boomer who we pulled in to help launch the social customer service strategy. And he knew our products better than anyone. And so you need people who not don't necessarily know the, the channels. He wasn't a social media customer service aficionado, but he definitely knew our products in and out. And that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of developing and, and monitoring to make sure you're providing consistently great customer experience, one of the challenges that a lot of organizations face is their, their silos. And yet to create a smooth customer experience, all these departments need to talk to each other and need to, things need to flow smoothly among them. What are your thoughts on how one should structure an organization to create an environment where it isn't all broken down by silos. I mean, in a small company, that's fairly easy, but when you get bigger and you've got a bunch of different departments handling, handling specialized functions, that becomes more challenging. So how do you deal with that challenge? I think it takes a great driver to be accountable at the top of the company. And I had this idea to create a chief omni-channel officer where you have one person literally just in charge of making sure what you're talking about isn't happening. So somebody who ensures that there's collaboration across all of the different groups. Because that's the challenge right now is at the top, there's no one person that is in charge of integration among all these disparate groups. And that's why the customer has such a siloed, disjointed experience. So if we start at the top with someone responsible for driving across channel customer experience, that person can get all these groups talking, get all of the vendors working together to integrate the technology that needs to happen. And there's someone who's accountable, who has budget and resources and influence to be able to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, from what I've seen, there are a lot of companies giving lip service to customer experience now, but the budgets aren't necessarily following. How much do you think this is really penetrating the consciousness of big companies, particularly those that are judged quarterly, publicly traded companies? Well, if you make decisions based on fear, you're never going to be as successful as you want to be. And I think the companies that aren't afraid of what people think. Jamie Dimon is is a fun example from Chase. He said, don't pay attention to quarterly profits. And he says a lot of really bold things. Like he just said that Bitcoin is total nonsense, <laughs> angering a lot of people. But he makes these bold statements, but look how successful his company is. And I think that the CEOs that are able to tell the board, we're not going to worry about quarterly profits, we're going to play the long-term game, are able to have better long-term financial performance. And a lot of what I've seen, and I've talked to other uh, industry leaders who agree, and Charlene Lee, for example, she, she believes that founder CEOs So CEOs that were also the founders of the company are bold enough and brave enough to tell the board, we are not going to focus on quarterly profits. And they make decisions based on what they think is the right thing to do. Examples, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, 
Mm-hmm. Reed Hastings from Netflix, founder CEOs really are brave and bold and able to not be concerned and and are willing to be misunderstood. In fact, that's a quote from Jeff Bezos. You have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, it's interesting because one of the things that I've heard a lot, I've worked a lot with startups and you know, companies that have grown and then gone public. And I hear so often from the CEOs of those companies, they wish they'd never gone public for that very reason of the board pressure being conflicting with what they as a founder believe is the right thing to do. So uh, I think part of the challenge is we've got to get to the point where investors realize that it matters more than what happens each quarter. Anyway, so... What do you see as being ways to get buy-in within senior levels of an organization? I think you have to be a great listener. You have to go to the different stakeholders and find out what they care about, what motivates them, and then find a way to bridge what you're doing with what they want. And it's really, it's kind of like being a politician. And I did this at at a company where I would go and meet with people and, and listen to them and get groups together who are responsible for different pieces of, for example, social media. And I think to be a great change agent, you have to be almost like a great politician. Mm. You have to be willing to block and tackle for the customer, but you also need to know how to make friends and not enemies. And a lot of people struggle to do that. It's really hard (laughs) because you have to constantly see the big picture because you're going to be hit with a lot of no's, a lot of what are you, this is crazy. We never did things like this before. And you need to be willing to overlook that and um, be a politician. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think it's realistic to think that a company that is not, I mean, a large company that's not currently customer focused can actually turn around? Because when I've researched it, it's really hard to find examples of turnarounds. I mean, we have companies like Disney and Nordstrom that were always customer obsessed, but taking a company that wasn't and making it customer obsessed seems to be really, really rare. Yeah, I think that it takes a commitment to bringing in new ideas and fresh ideas. A lot of big companies have, they now have innovation hubs. For example, Xerox has Park, Amazon has Lab 126, um, and many, like, um, I think Disney has what AT&T, like all of these companies, AT&T is the foundry. All of these big companies have innovation labs. And when they acquire startups, it's a great idea for them to bring in those, those fresh eyes and have conversations about what future generations are looking for in, in a product or service and don't um, sit and rest on your laurels. You have to be out there seeing what's going on in society. And a lot of the best companies today have fluid identities and um, fluid uh, basically shapes where like, for example, Amazon one day is selling books, the next day is providing hosting services. And, um, you know, the list goes on now they're acquiring grocery stores and and meal delivery. So the, the best companies today are more fluid and they don't limit themselves by how they've been in the past. Hmm, for sure. And things are changing so quickly that you really can't do that. So where do you see customer experience moving forward? What do you what do you think is going to be changing that industry over the next few years? 
Well, it's exciting to see a lot more attention and focus, even on the phrase customer experience, a lot more content about it and information. I think what we'll see in the future is more CEOs that take it seriously, that delegate it to someone to drive and lead it, whether that's the CMO or the um, chief operating officer or hiring a chief experience officer. And we'll see more attention paid to this discipline. And part of that is the contact center, but it's the entire way the company is run as well, because customer experience is not simply just shaped by the contact center. And I think that's the one misnomer or mistake that I keep hearing even today. For my book, I was interviewed so many times and everyone wants to simply talk about the call center. Uh, and it's not about customer experience does not just happen in the call center and the contact center. It happens much, much earlier. And uh, that's what my book is about. Uh, more is more. So I think there'll be more attention and awareness about this whole discipline. And I'm excited to be part of that conversation because I find it so fun and interesting and new. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you were somebody in a company and were trying to persuade your senior leadership to take this issue seriously and to invest in customer experience, what approaches would you recommend that such people take to try and start the conversation and get buy-in? I think it starts to bring in the leaders that are responsible for each piece of the customer experience. And I have in my book a framework called Do More. And each module is owned by a different leader. And Do More, the first piece is D, design something special. So product must be good. O, offers a strong employee experience. M, modernize with technology. And the list goes on. I'm not going to name every um, piece for you, but every I'll send you the framework so you can share with your listeners. And every piece is owned by one senior leader. So you get all of these leaders together to talk about, are we measuring our people by customer experience, by metrics um, that we that we think are smart, that encourage the right type of behavior? And it's about getting those senior people in the room together to work together to create a company that is built upon strong mission, strong values that reflect the customer experience that the company wants to see. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Blake. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Tama. It's really been fun. Thanks for having me. I normally record these podcast interviews a few weeks before I actually go back and edit them. So sometimes I'm struck by different things when I listen to them again. Two things really struck me from this interview. One is, I wonder if Blake is right that most companies aren't using metrics like average handle time anymore, how long a call center rep is on the phone. I certainly hope so. And I'll link in the show notes to information about that 10-hour Zappos call that she referred to. And the second thing is, although it's really exciting to see big companies, even some pretty traditional ones setting up innovation labs, I wonder whether they're actually going to manage to change traditional cultures in large bureaucratic organizations, or whether the folks in those innovation labs will just be stuck on the fringes forever. Certainly, companies that aren't open to innovation are not going to last for long in our fast-changing era. I mean, it's hard to imagine that something that's become so central in our world, such as Facebook, is uh, just old enough to have a bar mitzvah now, just turned 13. Airbnb hasn't even hit double digits. It was founded in 2008. 
and Uber wasn't founded till 2009. Things that have totally transformed entire industries are still less than a decade old. So change is happening so quickly that organizations really, really have to be innovative. And I think this is going to pose huge, huge problems for big traditional organizations. Also in the show notes, I will of course have links to Blake's Do More framework. And again, just a quick reminder about the upcoming events here in Edmonton over the next few weeks, LitFest at litfestalberta.org, UX Camp, and Disrupt HR. All of these are going to be really, really interesting times with interesting conversations, and I really hope I'll see you at them. In the meantime, particularly for those of you who aren't based in or near Edmonton, please do send me your feedback on this episode, your ideas for other episodes, and even just a quick note about what are some of the things that your organization is struggling with these days. Even if you want to say that off the record, I'm fine with that. I'd just like to find out more about what sort of content I can offer on this show that's really going to be of value to you. So as always, you can reach me, Tema, T-E-M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com, on Twitter, simply at Tema Frank, on the Facebook Frank Reactions page, or on LinkedIn. That's all I've got for today. I will speak to you again in two weeks. Bye.